0: As we continue our summer series of studying the book of James, I invite you to open your Bibles to James chapter 4. Uh, James is a small book in the New Testament, um, just five chapters. It comes right after the book of Hebrews, and so if you're trying to find exactly where it is, you'll be way towards the back. Hebrews, James, if you're in First and 2 Peter, 1, Second, and Third John, or Revelation, you're a little bit too far in the back, and you want to go forward just a little bit to James chapter 4 verses 1 through 12. And as if it wasn't heavy enough of a title, Adultery, Friendship, and Judgment, um, I'm pleased to see that nobody saw the bulletin and left, to my knowledge, um, to think about what all is going on in in this passage of Scripture, um, in the the territory that we cover. And as we read God's Word together this morning, I just invite you um, to consider two questions. There's a third, but we're going to work with two for now. As, as you read God's word, and as you consider what all of this means, the two simple questions to lead with are, what does this passage teach us about God? And what does it teach us about ourselves as human beings? I invite you to hold those questions up as we move through the text. What does this teach us about God? What does this teach us about ourselves? But before we come to God's word together, let's pray. Lord, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Your timeless wisdom is illumined to us by the Holy Spirit that we can understand your call upon our lives, that we can be equipped as your ambassadors here on this earth, and that we can live in the assurance of your love for us and testify and witness to your mercy and your grace. Lord, speak to us this morning, Through your Holy Spirit, by the power of your word. In the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. James chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity with God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason, that he jealously longs for the spirit that he has caused to dwell in us. But he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. And when you judge the law, you're not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and one judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. What causes these quarrels and fights among you? James pushes us again and again towards an ethic of consistency, towards consistently living our lives before and for God. But James is no stranger to the human condition. Full of wisdom understands that that we have things going on inside of us. We have competing values. We have temptations. We have desires that quarrel and fight within us. And that will bring us and lead us to quarrel and fight with one another. But for James, it's not only being consistent with God, first and foremost, but also to be able to live that in a way that is consistent before your neighbor. This ethic of consistency. Before God, before neighbor, to be the same person and to know who you are with, who you are for. And ultimately, at the end of the text, who you answer to. And, who answers to you? James is practical about this. Knowing full well that our battles and desires will exist within us. And they don't go away. I don't think James is inviting any of us um, to necessarily avoid everything in the world. He's admitting that there are desires that battle within us. But they're not going to go away. But the main question here is this then. If you have things going on inside your soul, what are you most faithful to? What are you most faithful to? What gets the most time and energy and attention? And if there's two competing values, which one is going to end up at the highest priority? James, in a way, is asking with this whole idea of being adulterous people, is to ask what team are you on now i wasn't very good at team sports i guess i just don't get along with people that well maybe i did not play basketball well or really at all and so if you're a little bit newer here and you think he's about six five from indiana where the state movie is hoosiers i bet he played basketball Absolutely wrong. Although I have wondered, because also A Christmas Story, Rudy and um, some other... Oh, and... um, oh no, not Mighty Ducks. That was Minnesota. But I've always wondered if there could be something else that Indiana could be known for instead of basketball. But that's just... That's my stuff. That's my desires battling within me. Indiana's not known for Taekwondo, unfortunately. But one thing I do know from watching a lot of basketball games from the days of my youth is... You only get to play for one team in basketball and you might want to score points right isn't that the idea but who do you score points for you score points for your team for your coach who has called you who has put you on the team who has not only taken you off the bench and put you in the game but you score points for your team for your coach not for the other team not for their coach Now, we've all seen it happen, and it's funny if you're watching it, but it is a source of shame if you're the one who does it, where someone gets the ball, and they see the basket, and they tear off for it, and they think everyone's saying, go, 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 and they're actually saying, no, 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 because the kid heads right off for the wrong hoop and makes two points for the other team. If I understand correctly, those points actually do count for the other team. It doesn't matter that the wrong person shot to the wrong basket. This is especially confusing right after halftime, I think. Taekwondo is much simpler. They put somebody in the ring with you to say, hit them, don't let them hit you. Easy. But I invite you to consider, basketball is maybe an easy one to, to see, but in, in all of the team's sports that we play, whose team are you on? If you score points for the other team, there's a lack of faithfulness to your team that has been exercised. And so, in verse 4, when James says, you adulterous people, he's not actually talking about adultery in in the same sense, although this can be certainly a result of the quarrels and and fights within us, the desires that battle within us. Sure, all of the law-breaking that can happen, and that was covered earlier in James. But in this particular sense, the way James is using this title of you adulterous people, is he's saying you're putting someone else before God. Your friendship with the world is coming before your friendship and your allegiance to God. Now, James says here, friendship with the world means enmity with God. Let's be careful of what that doesn't mean. It does not mean that you cannot have friends who are not Christians. In fact, something worth considering, if you don't have any friends outside of the church, who might you be reaching out and witnessing to? Certainly we live our lives as witnesses. We live our lives as ambassadors for Christ in every setting. But who is it that we're reaching out to if all of our friends are the same as us? Now hopefully there's friendships here. Friendships build as iron sharpens iron, so it is to have friends who walk this faith journey with us. Having friends here in this place at North Holland, building friendships, builds a sense of belonging. We feel like we belong when we're in the presence of friends. James is not as concerned here about who you are friends with or who, you have, who you're in a relationship with. But the ultimate measure here is, is God your coach? Is it for Christ's kingdom, is that what you're trying to score points for? And that you won't be tempted to score points for another team in any kinds of ways. Maybe it could be for financial gains, where we may be sacrificed the way we think God has called us to live, but we might be able to get ahead off on the side. We might be able to score some points, but they're in the wrong basket. Maybe it's for our own popularity, Maybe even though we hear these words often that we belong to God and that our identity is found in Christ, but we don't feel like we belong. And we turn to other directions to find our identity, to find who we are. It's like scoring points for the wrong team. Instead of trusting that God is saying, you know what, I don't care how many points you score, but I want you to be on my team because I have called you. You are on my team because you belong to me. And sometimes I'm going to have you sit on the bench and take a rest And sometimes I'm going to have you in the game, and this is up to me, says the Lord. We live in a world where the ends justify the means, but we serve a God who tells us that the means justify the ends. We live in a world where the ends justify the means, but we serve a God who reminds us that the means will justify the ends. So in adultery, we're talking about faithfulness. If you remember from uh, last fall when we went through the Ten Commandments, it took about ten weeks. That should be no surprise. When we went through, we were not only trying to point out the vice that Scripture is trying to keep us away from, but also the virtue that it's setting ourselves to apply to. Because as virtue is to virtuous, so vice is to vicious, vicious. And the end game, the trajectory of our faith, is not to be more vicious, is not to be more judgmental. In fact, James would say, who are you to judge your neighbor? But your trajectory of following God's law is to live in faithfulness to God and let those means justify the ends. And the virtue that thou shalt not commit adultery points us towards is faithfulness, fidelity, Not the investment company, but the more classic sense of the word, faithfulness. James here is calling us to consider the amount of faithfulness that we give to God and that we would not be considered adulterous, that we would not be considered someone who's scoring points for the other team to get ahead in some way, instead of trusting that God has us in the game and God is also in control of the outcome. Friendship with the world means enmity with God or trying to score points, and that God jealously longs for us. Now, it was pointed out by Jed a few weeks ago and repetitiously that a particular philosopher once described the difference between enmity and jealousy. Enmity is wanting what someone else has, jealousy is not wanting to lose what you have. Enmity is wanting someone else's stuff. Jealousy is a protective guard against losing your stuff. God has no room for enmity because the earth is the Lord's and all that is in it, the world, and all who live in it, Psalm 24. But God does get described in his own words as jealous, that God jealously longs for us. And by the way, the philosopher that Jed mentioned this from is Homer. Homer and not the one who wrote the Iliad, but Homer Simpson, just as a side note. But there is this jealous longing that we belong to God. God is saying, you are on my team. I have called you to myself. You belong to me. And the points you score, I want you to score them for my kingdom by demonstrating the fruit of the Spirit that I have called you to. I don't want you to worry about trying to get ahead. I don't want you to try to make friendships in such a way that you're going to sacrifice who you are. That you'll compromise the integrity of your witness, but be fully devoted to me. Maybe you can score more points by shooting at the other team's basket, but they're the wrong points. But God longs for us jealousy, jealously, God longs for faithfulness. When we're in middle school, when we're younger, you know, you ever have your best friend. But then if your best friend is playing with someone else, you can get a little bit jealous because you don't want to lose that friendship. If you're married or have been married, you know what it's like to have this specific relationship with your spouse. And regardless of your gender, you probably have friends who are men and women, but there's bounds to that. There's a faithfulness that's called to that. It doesn't mean you don't get to talk to anyone else in the world except your spouse, but it does mean that there is a bounds of faithfulness that you're called to this one relationship that is special. This is the definition of friendship that James is calling us to consider with God. That God jealously longs for us that our first first relationship is with the Lord. That there shouldn't be any question of if we have someone who matters to us more than God. That we shouldn't have a friendship that matters to us more than Jesus. And Jesus used these words in John 15 in saying, You are my friends... John 15, verse 14, you are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. I call you friends. When Pastor Audrey and I lead call to worship and we call them by saying, friends, this is because Jesus called us friends and he calls us to a fidelity. James understands that there's always going to be things going on in us and in the world and is very clear, saying, you do not have, don't have what you want because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. This is an echo taken from Psalm 37, which James, growing up as a Jew who had followed the law, would know very well. Psalm 37 verse 4, was a very profitable verse for a company for a while that was making little plates that said, the Lord will give you the desires of your heart. This sounds great, doesn't it? The Lord will give you the desires of your heart. But that's not the full verse. Psalm 37, verse 4 is, take delight in the Lord first, take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. But that's because you've been transformed that what you desire is what God desires. We take delight in the Lord first. And when we have our hearts aligned with what God desires, both for us and from us, because I do believe God intends for us to enjoy life even in faithful times that are difficult. When we take delight in the Lord, we are transformed and he will give us the desires of our heart but our desires have to be transformed first. They have to be aligned with God in a way where there is faithfulness and no adultery, no being taken away from that first primary relationship. It's human nature to want more. It's spiritual growth that teaches us of all the things we want. It should be enough to say, give us this day our daily bread. God longs for us. God longs for our desires to be God's desires for and from us. And so we get these series of statements about adultery, but about friendship with God and not compromising that with friendship with the world. But also we come to a sense of judgment in the second half of this passage. But all of these are statements that build off of each other. In the same way that James says, you do not have because you do not ask God, we might say, well, if I just ask God, I'll get whatever I want. But the very next verse, verse 3, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. James is aware of how quick we want to jump forward and also wants us to be consistent with God's desire for our life. And so in verse 7, we're told, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. It sounds great for the devil to flee from us, doesn't it? And empowering to know that Scripture says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. That's an incredible statement. But the power does not come from us. It is first, submit yourselves then to God. First, give yourselves over to God, and the devil will flee from you because God is with you. It's not resisting all on your own power, but submitting ourselves to God first. In the same way, verse 10, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. We don't get to lift ourselves up, but we do get to humble ourselves before the Lord. It is a paradox. We humble ourselves before the Lord and then he will lift us up. But lifting ourselves up, that might start to look like friendship with the world that might be compromising faithfulness with God. This doesn't mean we hate the world. God so loved the world that he sent his son, Jesus Christ. God loves the world. God loves you. But God wants you to love God first. And then to find ways to show God's love to the world. And let the means justify the ends. James tells us not to slander one another. Almost as if say, If you're playing on a team, don't slander your teammates. Sure, you can disagree with them, but don't slander your teammates. Don't don't turn yourselves against one another. That's one of the most amazing things that I've experienced from from my chair in this whole building project. Even among disagreements along the way, this has been unifying. This has been a consistent call to prayer from our elders. We're not going to slander each other because when we're all said and done out there, it's a unified witness to our world that we take part in together as one family as we are gathered here. So don't slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister judges or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you're not keeping it but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, verse 12, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? You notice that in a team, players talk to each other, but the players don't get to determine who's on the bench or who's in the game. Isn't that the job of the coach? The coach gets to determine that. We don't get to slander each other. We don't get to judge each other because we're playing all for the same coach and so much of what happens is going to be up to God. So we don't slander each other because it's not our position to judge one another and it's not our position to impose the righteousness that we think should happen on other people because righteousness between you and God is a response to grace But righteousness imposed on other people is inflicted shame. This is something we do together in community. But not in slander, not in judgment, not in believing that we have superiority over one another. This is what we do in faithfulness to God and to God alone. Pretty soon we'll take communion together as one team, I would say, in faithfulness. I always think about when we come up together, there's a lot of things going on, and so I always get a little choked up when people start coming down the center aisle. For one, I think about teammates of ours that have gone on to glory. You can think of who matters to you To know that not too long you might have been walking up right alongside of someone who God has called home and that they get to partake of the same bread and the same cup as you. The same way, there are disagreements among us. James understands that. God knows that full well. We don't slander one another in that, but we do partake of the same bread and the same cup, even with those who we disagree with from time to time, even sharply. And yet we come here together Because Jesus has called us friends, and so we do get to be friends, even in moments where we don't get along at our best.